This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company, Centratech. I'll explore how 320-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Longshot is a production of McClatchy Studios and iHeartRadio. Previously on Payback. Jessica's mom throughout high school would get letters of intent from all of these schools, and my mom always kept them. She taught me sacrifice. She sacrificed not going to college for me, essentially. I did like five years. When I was off in there, I was missing my kids, you know. I watched my mom get abused a lot, and then she would reciprocate that on me. Thank God for sport. That was my escape. They were just going to run one lap around the track and Jessica just left the pack. She happened to be at a soccer field one day and she was just smashing balls into the net. It's the spring of 2021, and producer Kata Stevens and I are entering a small stucco house in Glendale, Arizona. It's not that different from the other adobe-style homes in the neighborhood. It has a terracotta-colored roof, and characteristics of traditional Southwestern architecture. A pair of large shrubs sits at the top of the walkway, and the grass that frames the short driveway and the sidewalk is brown, dehydrated, and patchy. It's nothing particularly noteworthy from the exterior, but that's not the case once you go inside. Thank you for having us. I'm Alex. Okay, so I was the one you talked to on the phone earlier. This is Kata. For Jessica McDonald, this house was a refuge during her teenage years, when being at home was untenable. Sometimes it was a good option. Other times it was the only option. But it was always here when Jess needed it. This is the home of Abby McDonald, Jess's maternal grandmother. Thank you guys for coming. This is a great day because she got a game coming on. 
Did you play soccer? I played volleyball growing up. Kevin McDonald, Jess's uncle, brought us here. The soccer match on the big screen TV in the living room is a testament to Abby's love of the game. But the thing you can't miss are the photos and her love for her family. Nearly every square inch of her home, living room, kitchen, bedroom, is covered in family pictures. That's me and my kids. Who's who? This is me. This is uh, Sybil, Lorraine, Tammy, Stephanie, Tracy, Lori, Michael, and that's Kevin. Kevin moved into this home to help take care of Abby after she suffered a stroke. Soccer is a big thing, so we always make sure we catch every game. We just want her to be as comfortable as possible because she did so much for everybody, you know, above and beyond what any parent should do. And sometimes what any grandparent should do. But as Abby sees it, she's always done exactly what was needed to help her family. When I got a call that Tracy, her boyfriend, and what was going on in the apartment, I knocked on that door, boom, boom! I said, give me Jessica out of there. I brought her to my house. I said, you're free. From the Charlotte Observer, Raleigh News and Observer, McClatchy Studios, and iHeartRadio, this is Payback. I'm Alexandreev, and this is part three, The Safe Place. Cactus High School. Kevin met us here, and that's Jessica's uncle, who's been facilitating. He's kind of talking to someone right now to hopefully let us in the gym to walk around and see some of Jessica's old trophies and banners that are up. Cactus High School, on the north side of Glendale, is known for sports. Since it opened in the late 70s, the Cobras have produced roughly a dozen professional athletes across baseball, football, and soccer. My daughter went here, actually. She played basketball here. She actually made varsity as a freshman, so that was a good thing. And few families in Glendale played sports at a level like the McDonald's. Were you here when Jessica was here? Yeah, yeah. I think I came her junior or senior year. So I was a teacher back in the day, so I didn't have her in any classes or anything. But I remember she played basketball, and the whole family's, like, legendary. So as soon as he said the last name, I'm like, whatever you need, you come in and do what you want. So. <laughs> this is David Serafin the assistant principal at Cactus. Serafin agreed to show us around the school. And any tour of Cactus High starts with the sports trophy case. Yeah, so I think she was for the 2004 championship. So I think her picture's there. There's her trophy, right? Is that, yeah. awesome. The carpets, the walls, everything inside the school looks square and modern, and gray or beige, except for the accents in a color known as Columbia Blue. It's the same color I wore as a volleyball player in college. And here in the desert, it might as well be neon. Gym too. Got the hardwood floors. Yeah. All the pictures up with the athletes. Seraphin told us that today, Cactus High has about 1,300 students, but that it used to be larger, back when Jess and her half-brother Brandon attended the school, and their cousins before them, and their parents before that. It seems the past few years are pretty much the first ones when there hasn't been a McDonald at the school. There's 36 state championships in there, and the McDonald family was a part of a lot of those. Yeah, Just very legendary on our campus, the entire family, and especially Jessica. Teachers still follow her story, and there was a lot of interest in the soccer after what she was able to accomplish. 
Serafin led us to the school bookstore and their yearbook archive. So all of our yearbooks are there if you want to grab the year. Let's see if we can find her. <laughs> so 2005, let's see, our seniors. Uh, that is a very classic looking tank, <laughs> little necklace, the short hair. She hasn't aged at all. <laughs> I know, seriously. She looks the exact same. Jess lettered in track, basketball, and volleyball for the Lady Cobras. Her accomplishments spoke for themselves. But there in those yearbooks, we caught glimpses of young Jess's personality. Jessica McDonald of the Hip Hop Club bust some serious moves at the homecoming assembly. Hip Hop Club, that's a new one. <laughs> She's going to have a lot of pictures of her clowning around because she is a big goofball. Kevin McDonald told us that despite everything going on in her home, Jess was widely regarded by her teachers as a bit of a class clown. Jessica likes a lot of R&B and hip-hop music. She has another side to her, the, the um, old Nirvana and stuff like that. Yeah. She would love that kind of stuff, but mostly R&B. You put a good hip-hop song on, like I said, she will stop in traffic to make sure she's dancing correctly to the music, you know. She's always trying to have maximum fun. That's what I would always call her, maximum fun. She was just one of the you know sweetest kids I ever coached her. Knew she was just a really nice kid, great person to have in class. Mark Ryan was Jess's junior English teacher at Cactus. Seraphin spontaneously called him on his cell phone while we toured the school, and then he handed us the phone. But I, I you know, until I saw her on the basketball court, I never really knew that much, and it was just kind of a wow, <laughs> you know, experience immediately. Ryan was also an assistant coach on her basketball team and Jess helped lead them to two state titles in 2004 and 2006. We would do 10 suicides, and they kind of did it at their own pace, and she'd be finished while everybody else would be about like on their fifth or sixth one. Honestly, she is the best female athlete I've ever seen in person. Well, you've got to have one key player, and that key player is Jessica McDonald. While everybody else was still running, she'd start doing push-ups. One of the best athletes in the state, definitely the best athlete on the floor today. Just very legendary on our campus, the entire family, and especially Jessica. McDonald has a lot of issues. She's at the state record for the 400, her first year ever running track. I'm not surprised that Jessica is who she is. I'm like, she beat boys and girls too much. And the Cobras have reclaimed the state championship trophy. It was, it was kind of nuts. She was just incredible to watch. And yet, for all her athletic success at Cactus High, it was the sport Jess played elsewhere that offered her a way out of Glendale, and a woman who had never played sports herself who showed her it was possible. More on that after the break. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. 
Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. My name is Johnny B. Good, and I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of BitCon. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't. I came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world? Listen to Creating a Con, the story of BitCon, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every family has skeletons in their closet. Mine certainly does. Ones that go back a hundred years and reach thousands of miles back to our hometown in Sicily. Ever since I can remember, my relatives told the story of my great-great-grandmother who was killed by the mafia. I'm Joe Piazza, and in my new podcast, I'm taking on a generational vendetta, visiting the scene of the crime, confronting mafia experts, tracking down Italian officials, and even consulting mediums to set the record straight on my great-great-grandmother's mysterious disappearance. And in between the fact-finding missions, I'll be drinking a lot of wine and eating all of the pasta. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Jess McDonald's parents may argue over where she got her athletic talent, but Jess told us there's no question where she got her grit. My grandmother, she grew up in Alabama in the 30s and 40s and 50s. She's gone through way more than I can possibly imagine. This picture up here. The big, the, the big African art picture. Abby McDonald is 84 years old now. She's a petite woman and sat in a wheelchair when we met her at home. A few years back, a stroke cost her some of her mobility. And her speech is no longer as clear as it once was. Oh, yeah. Yeah. About, about 40 years ago. But her physical ailments are easy to forget, offset by her frequent animated laughter. So, everything in here is like me. <laughs> Abby graduated from an all-black high school in Alexander City, Alabama, in the 1950s. She did her part for gender equality as well, enlisting in the Air Force as part of a program that had grown during the Korean War. Roger, Air Force 463. You're cleared to land. The women in the Air Force were known as WAFs, and were celebrated in recruiting videos like this one from 1951. Now over here, in the field of Air Force communications, are newly created WAF specialists who send messages over a worldwide network by push-button teletype. 
Abby was sent to upstate New York for training on how to use those teletype machines, though she told us she was one of only two black students in the class and that her instructor expected her to fail. So she responded the only way she knew how. I made the highest score in the class. He got up in front of the class. The person I thought was going to phase out made the highest grade in here, and he was upset. He didn't know me. I'm a worker, and I can do anything. Abby was cunning in the classroom, but other WAFs experienced her sharp tongue whenever they got on her bad side. Like one woman, who, Abby says, called her the N-word to her face. I looked at her and said, what did you say? As a bitch, you done lost your mind. I'm going to wring your neck. <laughs> oh, the grandma. Shoot, man. Big Abby. <laughs> she don't hold back no punches. Jess's father, Vince Myers. Vince met Big Abby right around the time he and Tracy got pregnant. We had a rough start starting off, you know, but... As the years went on, I kind of like Big Abby. She'd talk about people right there in front of their face. I'd be, ooh, wee. Let me ease down here somewhere. We're going to be fighting up over here. <laughs> but she, she cool. She tell it like it is. I like Big Abby. Abby told us that her relationship with Jess's mother, Tracy, was often tempestuous. When Tracy was a teenager... Abby thought her rebelliousness was becoming recklessness. During Jess's childhood, in a home full of abuse and neglect, Jess's grandmother became the one person she could rely on as well. She knew things that was happening with my mom. She didn't necessarily know my mom's attitude toward me. She just knew, like, there were times I needed help. That was it. Whatever was just said to her, that was it. And she was there for me a lot throughout my life. Like, without my grandmother, I wouldn't be where I am today. I just wouldn't. She's definitely the backbone of the family. Abby remembers one night in particular and the terrified phone call she received saying Tracy and her boyfriend were fighting and Jess needed help. Abby told me she raced over to Jess's home and slammed on the door. When I got a call that Tracy, her boyfriend, and what was going on in the apartment, I didn't even put on my clothes. I just put on my robe, put on me some shoes, and went there and knocked on that door I didn't knock, I banged, boom, boom. I said, give me Jessica out of there. And I brought Jessica to my house. Cause in my house there's peace. There ain't nothing that book. I brought her to my house. I said, you're free. Kids don't have no reason to suffer. If we could pick our pants, we would be, <laughs> we would be everything in the world. If we could choose them, but we don't choose our parents, do we? We can't. Jess became a regular at Abby's home in the following years, spending a few days here, a few nights there. When it became clear that Tracy wouldn't be attending Jess's games growing up, Abby did so when she could. Sports were never Abby's calling, but Jess says her grandmother taught her other lessons that were valuable on the field. And that was particularly true in a Phoenix suburb, where Jess was always one of the few black students in her class, and often the only black player in a game. So we really didn't understand. Like, we knew we were black, and she would always mention, you know, you're the only black kid out there, you're the only black kid at this tournament, and you can't react the way people are expecting you to react if something happens. Oh, you're gonna call me this to my face in the field? 
and my grandmother would be like, you shut her up with your actions, you shut her up with your skill, you shut her up with you know, your soccer intelligence. I said, what is your name? What is your name? Unless they call that to you, only thing they're doing, they want you to get kicked out of the game because you're a better player than what they are. And don't fall in that trap, you know? We were taught that racism was going to exist. There's just something to expect because we were the only black kids growing up. And so we had to carry ourselves in a different manner than any other kid out there. If I had gone into the same tackles and cursed the ref out the way, you know, my teammate has who's white, I'd probably have a red card because of my skin color. I told her, don't let nobody steal your joy. And I'm saying that to both of you. Don't let nobody steal your joy, okay? Keep that in mind. And when I say you're gonna win, you're gonna win. Keep that in mind. And with Abby in her corner, Jess found that joy with the Sereno Soccer Club. This is the weightlifting. That's Les Armstrong showing us around the Victorium north of Phoenix, a complex where elite soccer stars in their early years hone their raw talents. Armstrong was the director of the Reno Soccer Club. This place is massive. It's, you know, I mean, I'm not sure if you know the Arizona well, but this is right in the middle of everything. In a state full of deserts, being in the middle of everything can feel like the middle of nowhere. But that's also a great place to build a destination training center with almost 17,000 square feet of court space, bleachers, state-of-the-art locker rooms, medical staff, and more. They're building all these soccer fields on this side here. Amazing fields, I'm sure, top quality. If Jess were coming up through the system now, this is likely where she would train. Even as a professional, it's an option when she comes back to Arizona. When I initially watched her play, she was terrible. I mean, her first touch was terrible. Her, the ball would bounce off of her legs and you know, but she was so fast she could catch anything. Any, any mistake she made, she was able to make up for it with her athletic ability. Multiple female athletes who went on to play in the World Cup also played at Sereno, including Sydney LaRue and Julie Ertz for the U.S. team and Adriana Romero for Mexico. Her game improved so much. Year after year, she got a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better. In fact, she was one of the ones, like, she would say to the rest of them, stop whining, let's get on with it. I can't ever remember having to reprimand Jess about anything. Talking back, she was an extremely polite kid. I know she had a very strict grammar. Um, she would be the one that would be maybe complaining about stuff. Jess ultimately played for Sereno for seven years. Outside of Cactus High, she would become a soccer star. I was just very grateful to obviously join such a great team and great coaching staff as well. Here's Jess. And I was like, all right, this. This has got to be my primary sport now. Now I see what Brandon's been going through and why he feels the way he feels about the sport. It seems clear that the stability and guidance Jess received on the field had ripple effects off of it. That was something of a theme we discovered in Jess's life and a dynamic that often unfolds for athletes from disadvantaged backgrounds. What we do know from the child development literature is that for those youth that do not have a stable, loving caring adult in their own household, those needs are not being met. Nicole Lavoie is the director of the Tucker Center for Research on Girls and Women in Sport at the University of Minnesota. Over the past 30 years, the Tucker Center has led research, education, and advocacy for girls and women in sport. They often will seek another 
non-familial significant other in their lives that can provide that stability. And many times that person is a coach. Having someone feel cared about, valued, seen, heard, that is immensely important to the development of youth because we know that when youth have one positive, caring, significant adult in their life, it can buffer the toxicity and neglect and abuse experienced in other parts of their life. Thanks to the structure and guidance at Sereno and support from her grandmother, Jess truly came into her own on the field. Whereas other players had a tendency to try different positions, Jess only had one, striker. She went straight to the goal, all the time. Individual statistics weren't really kept for Jess's club teams, but we know she helped Serena win the state title every year she played for them. Grandma was a little bit overly exuberant, let's say, in the sidelines, and she was just proud. Les Armstrong again. All the men were afraid of her, and she wouldn't take any crap from them. So it was good, you know, because it kept them shut up, you know. I just thought it was funny. But playing a club sport for a club the caliber of Serena is expensive. With team fees and off-season camps and field maintenance and coaches' salaries and uniforms and more, playing club soccer can cost more than a few thousand dollars a year. Jess told us her family couldn't afford that for one child, much less for Jess and Brandon. Yeah, club soccer is very expensive. We couldn't afford that. My brother and I, we didn't pay a single cent for soccer. Our club paid for us. It was like a scholarship. They paid for us to play, and so did other parents who were part of our teams. You know, the only thing we paid for were cleats, you know, and shin guards, and that's it. We reached out through Armstrong to the families that helped Jess and her brother financially. They declined to participate in this podcast, so we don't know if their reasons were purely altruistic, or perhaps because having Jess on the field made their own daughters look better. But Armstrong said that they were happy to support the McDonald's. The thing about Jess was nobody resented anything because she was such a good teammate. She was such a wonderful kid, you know, nice to everybody. Even though she got many, many accolades, she never, you wouldn't have known it by talking to her, you know, just a humble kid. As the attention around Jess's success at Sereno grew, it wasn't long before college coaches started coming to watch, including the one person who may be most central to the history of women's soccer in the United States, and who would have a lasting impact on Jess's life. It's the United States against Norway for the first ever Women's World Championship of Soccer. The head coach of the USA, Anson Dorrance, Anson Dorans coached the U.S. women's national team to their first world championship in 1991. Our ambition was to get here. Our ambition is to win this thing. So, uh, frankly, we'll be disappointed if we don't come out the winners. Dorans earned that position through his ongoing success at the University of North Carolina. Over the past 40 years in Chapel Hill, Dorans has won 22 national championships. I mean, you'd have to be blind to not see Jess McDonald. Every single coach in the country wanted Jess McDonald, but Anson Dorrance is, at that time, he's God, you know. Les Armstrong told us that over the years, Dorrance has recruited multiple Sereno players. There were some other schools, obviously, for her, they would have given <laughs> two scholarships for Jess, you know. I mean, at that time, she was just that dominant, you know. At that time, the North Carolina was, they were winning national championships every year, you know. Of course they wanted to go there. And so, a Titan of Soccer scheduled a recruiting visit to Glendale. But Jess told us that on one of the most important days of her life, everything almost fell apart. More on that after the break. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. 
We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh my, look at that, he is! And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win! Unbelievable! When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. My name is Johnny B. Good, and I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of BitCon. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world? Listen to Creating a Con, the story of BitCon, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I never thought I'd take my three young kids to Sicily to solve a century-old mystery, but that's what I'm doing in my new podcast, The Sicilian Inheritance. Join us as we travel thousands of miles on the beautiful and crazy island of Sicily, as I trace my roots back through a mystery for the ages and untangle clues within my family's origin story which has morphed like a game of telephone through the generations. Was our family matriarch killed in a land deal gone wrong? Or was it by the Sicilian mafia? A lover's quarrel? Or was she, as my father believed, a witch? Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On normal weekday mornings in the spring of 2005, Jess drove herself here to Cactus High School. It was her junior year, and Jess had a Nissan Altima Brandon had left her when he went away to college in California. On normal days, she would park and walk towards the big blue front door. The day Dorrance came to town was not a normal day. Oh, I woke up, I was super nervous because this is my dream school. It's been my dream school since I was a little girl. North Carolina women's soccer is arguably the greatest dynasty in all of college sports. But because Jess came to soccer a bit later, she told us her connection to the school came a bit different. Michael Jordan. I grew up watching Michael Jordan. And, you know, he made Tar Heel a thing. You know, he made it like the school you want to go to. The colors, the environment, everything. And so, as early as I can remember, I've always wanted to be a Tar Heel. Dorrance told us that even beyond her talent, Jess's determination stood out. She put something on her shoulder that 
all right, I'm going to prove myself today. Every coach loves that kind of player that just works and works and works and works and works. They always feel like they have something to prove. For me, that was Jessica. Jess thought college in Chapel Hill could be her escape. Anton Dorrance was coming to meet my mom. And, Mom, this is an important day. Make sure you come on your lunch break. This is when Anson's going to be here. Like, a parent has to be present. If a parent's not present, then it's, like, against, like, NCAA regulations. It was, like, you know, a long list of rules here. So I had to have a parent guardian there. She knew. The recruiting process for us is usually a phone call once a week. Dorrance again. And so for me, it was, you know, whether I could get her on the phone. And then when I didn't, I am speaking usually actually to the grandmother. But originally it wasn't the grandmother. It was the mother. So, of course, you know, I'm thinking, oh, gosh, okay. So she's uh, bouncing between households growing up. And I get it. I know why the grandmother's involved. As Jess's sports notoriety grew... It introduced a new and uncomfortable dynamic with her mother, Tracy. You know, I, I remember at one point it kind of made her feel uncomfortable, but she somewhat supported me. She was like, oh, you're doing good. Okay, good. And that was kind of it. It wasn't the kind of support that people would expect from their parents. Teen motherhood had caused Tracy McDonald to end her athletic career before it ever really began. And now Jess was on the verge of realizing the very success Tracy never did. Tracy did not respond to repeated interview requests for this podcast. I can only recall, I met the mom twice at games. Sereno director Les Armstrong again. She might have been at more because I don't go over and, you know, introduce myself to the parents. So don't know why, you know, never asked, never inquired. I just, maybe I should have. The day of Jess's official big visit with Dorrance, she says things at home with her mother were tense. Tracy also needed to use the car Brandon had left in Glendale. So Jess told us her mom drove her to school. I remember just reading her vibe, and it just, like, wasn't a good one. It was like, oh, this is this is the Tracy I'm getting today. Okay, let me not just even say anything, you know? But, like, we're in the car, and then I finally just said something back to her. And I've, I've never spoken back to my mom, ever. I just let her just, you know, say these crazy things, say these crazy things. And this day, I just about had it. And I said something to her, and she just punched me right in my mouth. And she was like, you don't talk back to me. We pull up to my school, and here I am with this bloody lip. I'm like, I just started my day off like this. I'm over it. Jess spent much of the morning fighting back tears. But even beyond the shock of getting hit, she wasn't sure who would attend the meeting with Dorrance. NCAA rules required a parent or a guardian to be present. So she called one of both. That day... I think her and her mom had got into it. So she called me up to the school to meet the soccer coach. Jess told us that the phone call asking her father, Vince Myers, to come to Cactus High was about the first time she remembers asking him for anything. I found out afterwards, everything afterwards, you know, she told me. I thought she had got into a fight. I didn't know her mama had hit her. Jess also called her grandmother. Abby told us she never knew the specifics of the incident in the car. But when something goes wrong and a child is hurt, Abby has heard all she needs to. Did she ever talk to you about this? No. But I knew there was something going on. And you don't need to know the specific. But when something gone wrong, a child is hurt, you know it's bad. And that's the part about it that I understood. 
Both Vince and Abby attended the meeting with Dorrance, but Jess's mind was already miles away. On the verge of her dreams, all she could think about was the grim reality of the altercation in the car. Why? Why did you do that? Are you kidding me? It was heartbreaking, man. It was like one of the most heartbreaking moments that I've ever had with my mom. And I hate that that is still in my memory, but that's just something that'll never die out of my mind. And, you know, a life-changing day for me and just like so many different kinds of ways like holy crap the meeting itself was a blur on the most important day of jess's young life she was completely unaware of herself as a body in space of her future as an athlete of what might be waiting for her going home that night but somewhere in that day jess made a choice to disrupt the cycles of the present even if it cost her future and on part four of payback I ran away from home when I was 17 years old, and to this day, I have not been back since. When she told me what she dealt with, I was just in tears. I'm like, how do you deal with that? My life just completely changed. I'm 17 years old, on my own, trying to take care of myself. Someone stripped of the tools in high school to try to succeed at a collegiate level is going to continue to have to fight tooth and nail to recover. Jessica McDonald puts it in the back of the net. I'm Alexandreev. Payback is a production of The Charlotte Observer, Raleigh News and Observer, McClatchy Studios, and iHeartRadio. It's produced by Kata Stevens, Casey Toth, Julia Wall, and Davin Coburn. The executive producer for iHeartRadio is Sean Tytone. For lots more on this story, and to support journalism like this, visit charlotteobserver.com payback or newsobserver.com payback. And for more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh my, look at that, he is... And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company Centratech. I'll explore how 320-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. 
And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.